Would you join me in prayer? Gracious and loving God, open our hearts to your message this morning so that we may sense the pull of your spirit on our lives. Amen. If you look at the number of Christian denominations today, you may think that Christians around the world are hopelessly divided in their understanding of God. Just in the United States, it's been estimated there are about 200 different denominations. And across the world, there's about 45,000 denominations. How can there be so many different ways of understanding the good news? Many of the divisions have been sparked by nuances and understanding that most people may not really have a strong opinion on. For example, a continuing issue between the Eastern churches of the world and the Western churches is the filioque controversy. In the sixth century, some Latin-speaking churches started using a creedal phrase saying that they thought the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son, while the Eastern churches preferred to stay with an earlier version of that statement that stated that the Spirit proceeds only from the Father. Because the Western churches included the Latin word filioque, which means and son, in their version of this Nicene Creed, the two groups of churches split in 1054 and not been able to reconcile this issue to this day. There are other nuanced details that have sparked divisions within the faith. Some you may find insignificant and some may be important to you. Questions around topics like predestination, proper procedures for baptism, and the purchasing of indulgences have all led to schisms in faith communities. There have also been social issues that have divided congregations, such as the split that took place in the Methodist Episcopal Church in 1844. A group of Southern Methodist churches were not in favor of the abolition of slavery, so they split from the Methodist Episcopal Church over this issue. Most of the Southern churches reunited with the Methodist Episcopal Church in 1939, but there's still a small contingent of Southern Methodist churches today that choose to remain separate. Within our own United Methodist denomination, there's an ongoing controversy regarding the limitations placed on individuals based on their sexuality that is fostering division. A special worldwide general conference was held in 2019 to find a way to work around this issue, but a mutually agreeable solution has not been found yet. This issue may create a new split in the United Methodist Church, but the church has not been able to convene a new general conference so we can decide how to proceed because of the pandemic. Many are waiting to see what will happen. Such strong opinions about the understanding of God and how we live into that understanding have prompted groups of people over the centuries to break away from their faith community so they can form a new denomination, essentially isolating themselves from those they disagree with. But Paul tells us in his letter through the, to the Ephesians that we should strive for unity as we discussed last week, the letter to the Ephesians was more of a general statement to churches in the region rather than a specific congregation. 
Likewise, we can easily broaden the audience of this letter and see it as Paul's message to all of us today as he shares his wisdom on living in a Christian community. In this letter, Paul urges unity within the churches as they try to make sense of the relatively recent death and resurrection of Jesus. More specifically, he emphasizes there is, quote, one body and one spirit that constitutes the church. People may have different understandings of how God is working through Christ, but the fundamental facts laid out by Paul was that there is one God, one Christ, and one spirit that is working in the world. In his statement that there is a single body, Paul refers to a metaphor he used frequently to describe the church. A more commonly used passage that explains this metaphor is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, where he talks about the varieties of gifts, but the same spirit in verse 4. In that passage, he gives a more detailed description of his metaphor, where he talks about the church being made up of many different members, yet they all come together to make up the one body of Christ. Just as each human body is made up of different parts, we all come together to form the church in different ways. His emphasis in the letter to the Ephesians is on the importance of remembering the singleness in spirit that defines the body of Christ. In verses five and six of today's passage, he points out that there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. Despite the many different gifts given to the church through different people, there is only one head of the church that all of us serve. Christ. There is only one Christ, the only Son of the one God whose singular spirit permeates all creation. The different theologies that people have developed over time all serve to try to provide an understanding of this one reality we witness and have named God. The different social principles we ascribe to are all based on our limited understanding of God's righteousness while we seek to follow the guiding principles that Christ gave us to love God with all our heart, soul, and might, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Since we cannot feasibly understand the vastness of God's wisdom, we were given this litmus test to guide us toward a lifestyle that honors the one baptismal covenant we have received. Paul gives us clues to the characteristics of such a lifestyle in verse 2 of today's passage. He tells us it is marked by humility, gentleness, and patience. Remember, humility is not demeaning or degrading yourself, but it's an elevating of the concerns of others. Paul describes what he means by humility in the second chapter of his letter to the Philippians. In this letter, he encourages Christ's followers not to look to their own interests, but to the interests of others. And he points to the example of Christ, quote, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself, 
and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Paul reminds us that Jesus had tremendous power when he walked on this earth in human form. But he did not use that power to co coerce others to act or think in certain ways. With gentleness and patience, he taught and healed the masses. And he was not reckless with his life. There were times in his earthly ministry when he was threatened or confronted with violence. And he departed from those situations. But when he discerned the moment when he was to fulfill the messianic prophecies of crucifixion and resurrection, he accepted his role as savior. I think to serve with humility, gentleness, and patience in the church is to persistently love while continuing to speak your truth tactfully yet candidly. Approaching our differences in this way fulfills Paul's direction in verse three of our passage to make, quote, every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Actually, I think it is our differences that give us greater strength when we come together. When we limit our interactions to only those who have the same opinions as we do, we miss details and the images we see of ourselves and of our circumstances. It's like viewing the world with only black and white pictures versus seeing the full spectrum of light and color. Subtle yet significant details can be missed when we lose the opportunity to see the world differently by sequestering ourselves to small groups. But exposing ourselves to the full range of insights allows us to recognize the need for refinement in our views and adjustments in our approach to the world around us. We still seek, quote, unity and faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God as Paul urges in verses 13. But we do this through diversity rather than conformity. This diversity in the church comes from the different gifts and callings that we get from God. Paul highlights the gifts that we get that lead some of us to be prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. But he also mentions other roles, which he refers to more generally as callings. Everyone has a calling, and it may not be to serve in one of those four roles that Paul highlights. Some of us are called to be carpenters, entrepreneurs, musicians, or any of the various ways that describe how we spend our day. We also may be called to serve in multiple different roles as parents, caregivers, or healers, for example. Each person's calling is a unique divine gift that adds to our understanding of God. Through humility, gentleness, and patience, Paul urges us to serve in ministry to build up the body of Christ until we mature into the full stature of Christ. This lofty goal is not achieved through the forceful suppression of differing views, but through the graceful acceptance and encouragement of all who earnestly seek to be in deep personal relationship with the one Father, Son, and Spirit. Although we are encouraged to hear and accept all who seek Christ, Paul warns us against being tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. 
Accepting people does not necessarily imply we should accept everything they say. We can accept people as children of God, yet disagree with certain beliefs, especially when those beliefs contradict that litmus test given by Christ of loving God and loving our neighbor. And Paul also warns us to beware of the, quote, trickery and craftiness and deceitful scheming that some people use to push their personal views forward. There are some who are motivated by ulterior motives, such as being perceived by others as having the right answers. So they spend much more energy and time on that goal rather than seeking the truth. When confronted by such behavior, Paul tells us to speak the truth in love so that we can all grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by every ligament with which and with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth and building itself up in love. Truth forms the foundation that allows love and compassion to build up the church, while confrontation that degrades and demeans others is inconsistent with the teachings of Christ. Overall, Paul's letter to the Ephesians encourages us to strive for unity in the church. People will always have different ways of seeing how God works in the world because God works in infinitely diverse ways through God's unique call to each member of the body of Christ. Paul begs us to accept our calling and lead a life worthy of that gift with humility, gentleness, and patience so that we might grow closer to understand the mind of Christ. Although we sometimes fail to live up to these high standards, the grace of Christ grants us forgiveness and enables us to try and try again to fulfill those noble goals of finding truth through love and compassion. We can never fully understand the eminence and transcendence of God, the infinite wisdom that knows when to intervene and when to step back, or the complexities of all the dimensions of the universe. Therefore, it's only reasonable to grant each other grace for the differences we have in our understanding of God and how God works in the world. By thoughtfully considering these differences and speaking the truth in love, as we sincerely understand it, we will be able to build a stronger, more mature church that grows closer to Christ. Therefore, I ask you, seek unity in the spirit, despite a lack of conformity in our perspectives, as we use our different understandings to build a stronger body of Christ today. Amen.